Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Gwinnett, it's time for Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by Computer Design and Integration. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Silver Lining in the Cloud. I'm your host, Nicole Toptosh, along with my co-host, Dominic Rainey. Howdy, Dom. How's it going today? Hey, Have you Nic- got any big plans for Oh, later? man, I, I'm, I'm getting geared up, as they say, you know, uh-huh. a little cookout, uh, some golf maybe, and uh, time with my daughter, friends, and all good stuff. And, and you're back here to get me, uh, get me going today. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm looking forward to some R&R myself. Well, let's get the show started and introduce our guests. From Beulah Heights University, we have Dr. Benson Karanja. Joining us from eQuorum, we have Scott Brandt. And from the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce, we have Sharon Mason. Welcome to the show, everyone. Dr. Karanja, since reading your book, I've been eager to interview you. Why don't you start us off and tell us uh, about Beulah Heights University and what you do there? Bill Heights University is a private uh, institution that was started 95 years ago. Uh, it was just a small uh, Bible college, but over uh, the last eight years we have expanded the platform where now we are offering different courses all the way to the doctorate. Uh, the mission of the college from the beginning was to train missionaries and send them to the world and try to uh, to build uh, the leaders or to evangelize the world. The mission has not changed even today. It's the same. Uh, we do consider ourselves as the uh, people who are trying to create global leaders, people who understand the, the global. Uh, right now, our student body, it's almost uh, 25 to 30 percent of international. It's so diverse uh, we are now planning to celebrate 100 years, and so we, we, we are working and planning and putting events together because in the next five years we'll be celebrating 100 years, and we invite everybody in Atlanta <laughs> all over the country to come and see what we do. Exactly. Can you give us some more of your background in terms of where you're from and how you came to Beulah Heights University? Absolutely. I was born in Kenya and I moved to United States when I was about 20 something, 20 something years <laughs> ago. 20 something years ago. But it's a very interesting story because I don't know whether you, any one of you know, uh, uh, there was um, an organization called Destiny. Destiny uh, invited all the people, all the leaders of color from all over the world, that's from Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Africa, and everywhere. And what they said is that if you bring the people of color, there will be 10 wealthiest nations in the world. I was doing my business well in Kenya. I was successful. But when I came there and we started talking in Atlanta here, Something got into me in, in my hotel, and I felt, you know what, I need to go, come, go back to school. Although I had already a, a, an, undergraduate, an un- undergraduate degree, mm-hmm. a- and I felt the need to, go to, to come to school, but I didn't want to, to go to any school. I just wanted to go to Bible college. Okay. And when I went back to Kenya, I just told my family and, uh, and, and my business people that I'm coming to United States to a Bible, to a Bible school. 
And they thought I had lost my mind. And so, <laughs> so I packed my three kids and my wife, and uh, we came to Atlanta. It has been a journey. A very, very uh, long but successful journey. The name of the book, Grains of Sand. Talk to me about how you came about with that name. The Grains of Sand, as you know, the whole story here talks of, talked about my journey and some of the uh, the issues uh, that I faced while I was at Beulah Heights. And I started in Beulah Heights. Right now I'm the president, but I started as, uh, as a janitor. Mm-hmm. I was collecting uh, uh, trash and everything. So it was it was a kind of a journey that unless you walk in those shoes, you can't understand what what, what it was. Right. And you face so many um, issues, discrimination. But I, as I think about it now, I don't think it was because of color. But I think it is because of the individuals, really, uh, their exposure, their exposure to different kinds of people. So, and also the fear of losing what they had to this and upcoming. Uh, bright young men and and taking over or taking position that was the thing so the grains of sand is an issue that when you put a grain of sand even in the grains of rice it's still going to be there and it's not going to be broken therefore I, I, I felt even though there was a moment that I could have been broken and completely despair I never I was still remained that grain of sand Everywhere I went, and I, I didn't allow to be broken uh, for the journey that that uh, was was an experience. Mm-hmm. And I also I believe that it was preparing me for what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the big buildings that you have seen in Europe and the United States, it's a mixture of sand and cement that has built those 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 buildings. So it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an ingredient that uh, is used for for construction and still remains that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. What a journey! And you speak about um, not becoming broken along the way, but I'm sure you've had anxiety. And on page 17, one of the comments that you make is that although I had moments of anxiety, wondering how I'd pay my own bills. At the same time, I had an inner peace. If I did the right thing for others, God would do the right thing for me. What would you say it is that helped you to attain that inner peace despite all the hardships, especially in the early years? The, uh, the thing that gave me the, uh, the, the inner peace is the training that I had with, uh, with my mother. My mother was a Christian since when she was a girl. And I grew up surrounded by a family that loved the Lord. And, 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 and one of the things that um, I, I heard was I knew everything I was doing was temporary. It's not going to be permanent. I knew that I'm not going to be in that condition of collecting trash and, and cleaning, mowing the grass or being yelled at or being demeaned. No, I knew it was just temporary. And therefore, it's just like a training camp. That's how I felt. It was just like I was in a training camp. And uh, this will be over. And uh, come a time when I will do greater things that God is preparing for me. However, I didn't know what those things were. 
It was just a journey and a peace knowing that this is just a bridge. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other thing is I had read a book by the first president of Kenya, Mzee Jomo Kenyatta, where he said suffering without bitterness in his book about the struggle to, uh, for the independence of Kenya uh, from, the, uh, from the British. He said, I suffered. He was just like Mandela. He was in jail for 10 years. But when he came out, he said, I I'm not bitter. I, I was in a, one of the best universities in jail, and I learned a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he told the British people, you are as good Kenyans as I am. So that's how I felt. Right, mm-hmm. right. That um, inner peace certainly excelled all thought and mental power. Now, you're the first African immigrant to become president of a U.S. college. How important is it to you to give back, to pay it forward? Uh, th- that was a very, int- oh, that's a very interesting question because w- what we did oh, uh, throughout my journey, I have given opportunities uh, to some people from Africa and, and Asia and uh, Southern America, uh, people just who never thought they would ever come to United States from the villages, people who did not even. Um, any connection because at the time that um, I was growing up, only those that had connection, all those, only those that had money would eventually come to United States or go to Europe for father, to further their education. But when I came to United States, I reached back to the villages, people who never thought there would be anything. And I would, uh, I would tell you here, probably in Atlanta now, I do understand we have almost 17,000 to 20,000 people from Kenya alone. And I would say that probably, probably 60 to 70% of them, they are directly or indirectly uh, here because of who I was and what I was doing. So, so that's how I feel giving, uh, giving back. Mm-hmm. But also we do uh, leadership training every year. We, we raise money uh, to build hospitals, to build businesses. We just completed a hospital for almost $20 million in, in wow. Kenya. We're doing something in South Africa. We're doing something in Nigeria. We are helping pastors uh, in Liberia, in the villages there. Uh, because we, one of the things I've also found, it's not very good to remove or to move those uh, those pastors or those managers in Africa and bring them here, and they disappear in the United States. So what we're doing is that we are now teaching them through what you call modular by sending the professors there, or we are using what we call, we, we do online courses, and uh, we're seeing uh, a great success by reaching those people out there. Wow, great empowerment. What uh, what makes Beulah Heights University work? What do you feel is the core of this great university? Because Beulah Heights uh, has grown, and we never have we have never left our core value. Our core value, which one, which was one of the greatest value, was as I say, the founders wanted to evangelize. They were training missionaries and sending them to. Uh, Central, uh, South America, China, Africa. Uh, and let me say this before I go there. 
the founders really they came or oh, they were they were born out of the Sousa Street. Uh, there was a movement of Pentecostal thing, but one of the things they thought was that Jesus, just like Paul, they thought Jesus is going to come pretty soon, and therefore they bought one way ticket to wherever they were sending these missionaries. And if you read one of the Atlanta Constitution Journal article that appeared in 1949, uh, five of our students were killed in South America because they were there and they, 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 they it, it was a, it's a very hardening thing to know, but to see it today, what we're doing and reaching these people and, and, and training them and inviting them and them feeling that we also care and love that has made Bill Hyde to be totally different because we are truly, truly diverse uh, institution. Um, we have faculties from all over the world, from different denominations. So we are not in a box where that we are not under one denomination or one group of people. We are so diverse and we listen to people and we love people. And I think that is one of the things. When you love people, when you care, when they see a genuine love and care, mm-hmm. people will come to you. Yeah. People, people will discover when you're not real. You can, you, when you're not real for one week, people are going to, re- to realize <laughs> that you're not real. And that's the truth. All right. Earlier you spoke about the um, percentage of uh, international uh, students that you have. You mentioned it's about 30% uh, the international student population how did that come about? Because that's huge. When I came in there, we when I came there in 1987, we only had about two students, two international students. But when I, in my journey, I was appointed to be the director of student services, and one of my role, or one of my uh, responsibility, was to uh, recruitment. And in recruiting, what I did was to be able to reach those um, international students who wanted to come to Beulah Heights. And uh, my, my, my president at that time, Dr. Chen, was able to travel to Africa with me. And we started by offering about 13 full scholarships. And um, that's how it began. The journey started there. They were able to identify with me whether they were from China, whether they were from South Korea, they were, they were able to identify with me because I can understand. I know the pain. I understand international. I understand, I understand the global village. Mm-hmm. So they, with that, they were able to, uh, to come and buy. We never marketed in any way. It was through the word of the mouth. Beulah Heights cares. They treat us as equal. When you're in Beulah Heights, it doesn't matter where you're from, whether you're United States or Kenya or China, they treat us equal. Right, yeah. right. We've been talking today with Dr. Benson Karanja with Beulah Heights University. Dr. Karanja, you have several extension sites. Tell us about these operations and where they're located. As I said earlier, the uh, the, the, the founders, one of the core value mission was to train leaders, uh, to train missionaries and send them. But we have also found that that kind of mission is changing now. Uh, like now we have several of our students uh, from China, and they're doing what we call in China uh, house churches. If 
I go to China today, I can't do that. But if I train a Chinese, they can go there. They know the government, and they, they know the people. They can do that very easily. So what we're doing now, we've started extensions in Brazil. We had mm-hmm. about 60 or 70 students who have done MBA from Brazil. We have students, we have extension in Belgium. In fact, I'm going there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We have extension in Congo and Nigeria and South Africa. So one of the things, especially the developing markets now, uh, countries such as India, countries such as Brazil, they have, they want to train managers. And because they want to train managers, one of the things they don't want to do is to send them send them to United States, send them to Europe to study, because in those two years, you have removed these managers from their families, from their positions. So what we have done is that we are taking education to the people. Rather than them come to us, we are taking it to them and saying, okay, we're going to make arrangement with this government or with this company to train your managers, to train your people to achieve the MBA or to achieve bachelor's of uh, business administration. If it is the ministry to do MAOMD or DMAIN. So rather than, rather than disrupting their, their, their families, their ministry, or their business, we go there. So we do it in an online format, or we send faculty where they go and spend one week with them, extensive training, what we call modular courses, and then they'll have assignment and send to the professors. Wow, Dr. Karanja, I really commend you for all that you do in terms of giving back. Dr. Karanja, uh, I noticed that you, you have a strong belief in um, that uh, uh, an effective uh, distance learning is an effective way to educate. Can you share some of your thoughts there? Yeah, d- distance education is the new thing now. Uh, the younger generation right now, they're more technology um, oriented, or therefore, if, if anything that is more technology that is dis- not disrupting what they're doing, even in the United States, if I am working um, full time for one one company, and I still can do my program. Uh, online in the evening or any time I wake up with my pajamas and I do my work with my iPad on, on my bed and do that, uh, it, it's, it's the ideal thing. So we're finding that, that uh, technology, using the online, is the thing for now and even for the future because it, it is, it's, it's one of the best ways of expanding the education or reaching out to uh, many people or thousands of people at the same time. Well, the university's uh, 95th year, you mentioned, uh, heading to the centennial uh, uh, celebration. That That's awesome. Uh, uh, what what does the university have, have in store for the future? What we have in store for the future, we want to continue expanding. We, we want to continue expanding the platform because I want to see here our our. our core value is a Christian university, and we want to continue adding those values, yet we are not going to discriminate, but at the same time, adding the Christian value of, of flavor into the people that we are training and telling them, this is, this is who we are, there's, there's an alternative, and, and the alternative is this value that we, we are adding into, into, into what we are doing. So 
our future is going to be bright, and I do believe that we will be able to reach more countries than we uh, have ever done. Um, my plan is that in the next 10 years, we will be able to be almost in every continent uh, and teaching. We'll have some, something what we call like a hub whereby we will hire the uh, we will hire qualified faculty from those countries and they will train their leaders or their students uh, based on our own curriculum as to the way we see it. Uh, Dr. Karanja, is, is Beulah Heights University a, an accredited school? Abs- uh, yes, it's accredited by TRAGS and also by ABHE. And these are recognized by the, uh, by the Department of Education and also by CHIA. Uh, and I, un- I understand you have a, a famous saying. Uh, uh, can you share share to our, with our listeners uh, your famous saying? My, my famous saying is that if you don't fail, if you can't fail, then you have not tried. So everything you do, if you fail, you have tried. But if you want to be successful in everything that you do, you're passing, then you're not doing something that is big, something that is going to need uh, to need God to help you to move to the, to, to the next level. So failure is, is, uh, is an ingredient to succeed. That's the way I believe. So when you fail, it's always good to give that person a high five. So knowing that <laughs> that person tried and they failed so that they will learn what they're going to do tomorrow. I love it. We're talking with uh, Dr. Benson Karanja, president of the uh, Beulah Heights University. So, so Dr. Karanja, uh, share with our listeners how they can uh, reach out to the university to get more information and to contact you there. Uh, you, uh, you can reach. I know the technology is the thing for today. You can do www.beulah.org. When you go there, you'll get all the phone numbers and uh, anything that you will need to uh, reach us, you'll reach there. Or if you can Google Bueller, B-E-U-L-A-H, it will bring you to our website and you can find all that information. The other number that I can give is 404-627-2681. And it will bring you to our website, to our admissions, to everybody that you want to reach. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Karanja, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Next up on our broadcast, we have Scott Brandt. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you, Nicole. Scott, tell us about eQuorum and what do you do there? Okay. Uh, Very humbling to have to follow Dr. Karanja (laughs) here. I'm not sure. (laughs) What we do is uh, insignificant compared to what uh, his efforts are all about, Mm -hmm. but... uh, uh, thank you for doing what you do, Doctor. Uh, eQuorum is a uh, uh, document management software mm-hmm. company for larger corporations, and we have an, uh, an emphasis on managing digital files um, with uh, really a, a focus on engineering content. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're totally web-based. Uh, we provide software that's available both on-site and in the cloud, and uh, we help... Uh, large companies uh, with what I call the uh, seven S's. That's uh, Mm. structure files, securing files, searching files, uh, seeing, viewing files. 
sharing files and synchronizing files. So that's the six, X, six S's. Um, and uh, we primarily focus on the market of companies in the $50 million to $1 billion range, mm -hmm. uh, companies that have a large number of files in uh, many different locations and typically integrated with some sort of engineering content, uh, CAD files, uh, QA specifications, manuals, tech pubs, uh, engineering orders, those types of files. Mm -hmm. And who does uh, Equorm sell to? Uh, it's it's those companies that are uh, have grown quickly and have now uh, large numbers of files, large numbers of locations, and are trying to um, organize and structure and ultimately uh, share and collaborate over those files um, mm -hmm. and gain efficiencies over that. Okay. And how would you describe the current enterprise document management space? Uh, enterprise document management space is a very fast-growing industry at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, the Gartner Group projects the space to be somewhere in the seven billion dollar range by 2016. Wow! Uh, it's due to just content explosion. Um, Dr. Crenshaw talked about uh, technology and where where technology is going, but technology is all based about um, content and content explosion. And so we have uh, not only an uh, increasing number of, of the volume of files and, and documents that we have to deal with, but mm -hmm. uh, we're also having to deal with emails, as everybody knows, uh, websites and web content, video, certainly, and, and also social media. And uh, we all take that for granted, but there's a need to not only um, manage but to be able to analytically uh, mine these files and um, s sounds simple and straightforward to do, but mm -hmm. um, the, the sheer volume and types of files is just getting out of hand. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the space is at the moment um, uh, has several large players in it um, that uh, that you would recognize: IBM, Oracle, Microsoft, EMC. Uh, but there's also a space for some niche players that provide more robust, industry-focused solutions, and that's where we uh, we play. Okay. Now, in terms of the, the long-term and the short-term, can you talk a little bit about where the uh, management software industry is going? Sure. Um, in the long-term, in the, in the short-term, I, I, I think it's – uh, about helping companies, you know, organize and secure um, their intellectual property at this point mm -hmm. um, and improve their process workflows um, using those those documents and those files. So a lot of the larger corporations uh, have large enterprise-type solutions already in place, but we have a lot of organizations, a lot of companies that are, again, in that $50 million to $1 billion range, and they've mm -hmm. grown quickly, and, and, and things need to... Uh, to be organized, and we need to uh, to improve the the process workflows around these around these documents. In, in the longer term, um, it's all about sharing and collaboration mm -hmm. um, over files, and certainly with you know the degree of social conversation that we have, and we all know what those are. And um, you know, uh, I heard I heard someone speak the other night about how quickly things change. You know, if five years ago someone had described to you tw a Twitter conversation, uh, you know, 140-character conversation and the value of that, 
Um, how many of us would have said, wow, that's going to change the world? Um, I think we, most of us would have said, huh? <laughs> you know? yeah. so, and that was just five years ago. So you can see where uh, collaboration, sharing, and, and um, social is going to be taking us over the, over the long term. Right, that is so true. Right. We're talking today with Scott Brandt with eQuorum. Scott, how is eQuorum different than other management uh, software companies? Uh, we're, we're clearly the better-looking company, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> we got a lot of good-looking people. No, it's just, uh, you know, eQuorum is here locally in Atlanta, but uh, mm-hmm. we sell nationally and internationally. Okay. Uh, but uh, we are different in the sense that um, we have, we're a web-based. We have always been web-based, mm-hmm. and that provides a lot of um, uh, strengths in terms of what we can do. Uh, it, the company was... Um, uh, founded by engineers and basically created uh, software for engineers. So we know engineering content and we know how to deal with that. Uh, we're OTS, um, off-the-shelf software, so mm-hmm. no customization required, um, basically plug-and-play type of thing. But we're so great in that um, over the years, uh, we've been around for 15 years, mm-hmm. that the, the product has become so robust and configurable that pretty much is nothing we can't do, and it's just a matter of checking a checkbox or clicking on or clicking off. Um, and then because we're off the shelf, we can be up and running in, in organizations in a matter of days or, or weeks where some of the other larger uh, uh, competitors we have are literally months and, and, and sometimes even years, I've heard, two, three-year implementation cycles, which mm-hmm. uh, just boggles my mind in, t- in today's environment where... Um, your you know six months is a long period of time for product development. How we can take that long to implement, but we can be up and running literally within a couple of weeks. Okay, and Scott, why would you say your clients uh, do business with you? What are some of the reasons that they do work with you? Well, we have a solution that is tailored to what they do in their industry. Um, I think what we try to do is, is express a value proposition to them um, that makes more sense today than it did perhaps five years ago where um, we can help them manage and structure the technology. Security is a big, big issue, and I think ultimately they have to feel that we're the experts. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, um, many we've got uh, many individuals on staff that have 10, 15 years' experience in this industry and we really do have an understanding of uh, how companies need to organize and structure and, and ultimately um, gain productivity from the use of their, their documents and their files. And so uh, they come to us and they'll also find that we have um, what we like to express as distinguishable superior. That's, that's the South Bronx in me, I'm sorry, but <laughs> distinguishable superior uh, customer support. And uh, literally, there's nothing, there's no question um, that people can't um, call us about that we can help. And I would say to many of our larger clients, we, in fact, play an outsourced IT function for them, even though that's not what we've been hired to do. Um, So I think they they see us as a key component to helping them run their company, be a a, a co 
pilot to them in terms of operational security and access, and uh, um, they can always feel that by calling us, there's going to be someone on the other end answering the phone. It's not a it's it's a person answering the phone, and uh, literally we will stay with them for however long it takes to resolve right. the problem. And as you mentioned, uh, distinguishable customer service that is key for business continuity. Yeah, you would. I mean, you would think that in today's world. <laughs> that providing customer service and quality support would be a no-brainer. But we all live today in, in this environment, and so much certainly in the, as, as uh, individuals, where we see lack of that type of detail, attention to detail or concern, and you just scratch your head and, and say, you know, I'm the customer. Why is this such a problem? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the one paying your salary. Uh, at the end of the d- at the end of the day, we have to recognize that and 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 view our customers as um, partners in terms of what we're trying to do here, not as the enemy. Right. So. Right. We're speaking with Scott Brandt, the CEO of a document management company called eQuorum. Hey, Scott, uh, let's talk about freebies. You know, there's uh, uh, in the in the software world, the document world, and all that stuff. Uh, no matter what it is, there's always something free. Is free better? You uh, even got a, uh, I think there's a, a, a thing called Dropbox. Is that better? Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of solutions out there these days that uh, organizations are looking at. And, and you know, to me, um, free is a, is a four-letter word that starts with F. And so that's not good. Whoa. That's not good. I agree. That's not good. And, you know, you get what you pay for ultimately with free. Um, you know, people are out there, corporations are out there using things like Dropbox or Box.net or whatever, um, and it doesn't give them ultimately a lot of the security and version control that, that you need. Um, there's hidden charges ultimately in terms of storage and as, as you ramp up. But, again, it's hard to compete against, against free. And uh, uh, what we would do is we would... Uh, uh, recommend to organizations that are looking that as an option to ask them to really think about what they're trying to accomplish. Is, is this a, a means to enhance productivity within the workflows of the organization, or is this just some pl- a repository to, to dump stuff and allow people to get to, uh, we used to call them FTP sites, and they work great for that, but is really what you're trying to accomplish that, or are we looking to... Uh, enhance the organizational productivity, enhance the quality and security of what we do, because then you need a real live industry-tailored solution. So, so Scott, if I invest in eQuorum, how do I do an ROI on your product? And uh, is that something that's um, easy to obtain? Return on investment? Yeah, certainly. Um, sound like my CFO at the moment. <laughs> I could be. Yeah, you could be. Uh, the you know the ROI is always the the, the question that uh, we, we have to ask answer to the the finance guy within the organization and um, certainly we've got some intangibles in terms of the the uh, re- benefits that we provide but it's it's all about productivity improvement and product integrity so you know what is the value of your um, uh, your intellectual property what if that drawing that demonstrates a, a key product of yours um, ends up getting outside the four walls of the organization and into your competitors' hands. What's the cost of that to you? 
what is the cost of people not being able to find drawings and say, you know what, I'll just redo it because I can't find this old drawing. That would cost a lot of money. Yeah, well, what's, what's the cost of, and this just happened to a, a good client of ours, where uh, a, a, a piece of equipment that was custom-made for one of their clients had it to be redone because someone made a mistake, and they upgraded the drawing for the, the, the rework and then sent it down to the production floor. Well, guess what? The production floor pulled up the old drawing. So what did they do? They end up sending the same piece of equipment back to, the, to their client a second time and who looked at it and scratched his head and said, what happened here? This is the same thing had before. You know, and we're talking about a $100,000 piece of equipment. And you know, what is the cost to that organization of, of not only having to redo it but potentially losing that client just because we didn't have ac adequate version control on, on particular documents, for instance? And so it's all about um, organization, security, and finding things in a timely fashion um, and, and saving time and money. It's all bottom line stuff. Absolutely, you're ab absolutely, and and you know, faster to market means more revenue, top line, bottom line, um, but you know, it, it's it's where we're going, where we have to be at this point. So, uh, is eQuorum Solutions suited to uh, specific uh, companies? Uh, you mentioned your market, fifty million to one hundred and fifty million. Uh, so, is there vertical markets that you that you're better suited to? Yeah, we have we have s several industries that we have tailored solutions for that actually work very very well. We're very focused on manufacturers in that fifty million to one billion dollar range, uh, engineering services companies. Um, what are, what are called AECO companies, architectural engineering, construction, and owners. Uh, we play very well, and we have many uh, public utilities as clients, people who have a lot of facilities management have to do, deal with, uh, universities. Uh, we uh, recently signed up Auburn University uh, for, us, for all the people here in Georgia who are um, using us in terms of they have a huge renovation master plan going and using us to help structure and organize that whole program. Uh, and then there, we have several government clients as well that uh, use us. What's the scuttlebutt on the university over there on the campus? Are they going to beat uh, Alabama this year? You know, I, I have to because my, my wife is a war eagle, <laughs> but half my staff are, are, are dogs. I'm going to have to feign uh, giving You're you any trouble. opinion at You're this point You're in trouble, in yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Well, we're listening to Scott Brandt with uh, eQuorum, uh, Document Management's the subject. And uh, so wh what do you like most about what you do there, Scott? Well, it's, it's a really fun part of technology at the moment. And as things are exploding, it's really great to be in, in an industry in a space where things are changing so quickly and um, clients are really seeing and appreciating what we provide to them. So, um, you know, we're not quite on the bleeding edge, you know. We're not we're not doing uh, Instagram and Twitter type stuff, but we, we really are providing value added to corporations that are fast growing corporations, and and I really love that. I I love being able to provide a solution to to companies who really can take advantage of it and really can leverage that for you know to gain that ROI, um, and it's not a just on the edge marginal type of solution. This is a uh, integral to the mission-critical type of solution that uh, we, we, we really believe and see can help fast-growing 
uh, small and medium-sized businesses going forward. I see a silver lining in uh, at eCorum. Well, you know, w the benefits of, of, the, of, of, of the product are many, uh, as we talked about. Um, you know, in terms of workflow efficiencies and productivity, uh, we talked briefly about security, and uh, we got, a, uh, for instance, a, a very neat uh, part of the product that's coming out here this, uh, later this summer, what we call earmarking, which will allow you to earmark a file so that um, even if it gets outside of the corporation, if someone in China, for instance, was to open up that file, you would know about it. And would you like to know about someone who was not supposed to have that file opening it up in, in some place you know they shouldn't be opening it up, especially with privacy these days? Um, and then ultimately, you know, we have to collaborate. We have to share information. There's just too many silos, too many walls these days within organizations the, the ones that are going to be leading us and, to, and, and, and making uh, significant profits are the ones who are going to be able to take fundamental uh, operational information and be able to distribute it and collaborate over it with it, both in terms of socially and within the four walls of the organization, and we're a key part to that. Well, Scott, tell our listeners how they can uh, reach out to you and eCorum and get more information about what you're doing. Sure. Uh, if you're in the market for document management software, uh, that's that's what that's what we do, and we're we'll, uh, we're here to help. Uh, you can uh, certainly contact us at info at um, You can call us direct at four zero four four nine seven eighty one hundred, or you can follow me on Twitter, um, Scott uh, at uh, Scott. Dot brand. So um, that's the way to get to us. Thank you, Scott. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by CDI Managed Services. Up next, we have the pleasure of speaking with Sharon Mason with the Cobb County Chamber. Good morning, Sharon. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. That's good. Sharon, tell us about what you do and about the Cobb Chamber. Sure. The Cobb Chamber, we are honored to represent more than 2,600 businesses in Cobb County and in the region. And we're honored to serve as the convener of these businesses, to bring them together, to help them achieve more and create jobs and drive economic development. And we achieve this in a lot of ways by, by creating jobs, by strengthening the community, the region, by growing our member businesses and really nurturing leadership. Now, you mentioned 2,600 businesses. Who does the Cobb Chamber represent? Can you talk about the makeup of the membership and the community? Yes, we represent a very diverse membership, which is wonderful. And it represents actually over 85% of them are small businesses. Mm -hmm. And the other 15% that are large businesses are a lot of our major success stories in Georgia, including Home Depot, the Weather Channel that mm -hmm. are headquartered in Cobb, Genuine Parts, and and that's why we provide such a diverse range of programs and products and services that meet different needs for different types of businesses. We actually have um, over 400 different events going on, and you really could have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with us most every day. <laughs> There's so much going on at the Chamber, but we do provide a lot of different programs and products and services that meet uh, all their needs. 
Okay. Now, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the Cobb's competitive edge. Uh, for example, in the Georgia Trend, as well as in the Atlanta Business Chronicle, the AJC, and other media outlets. Can you tell us more about Cobb's competitive, Competitive's Edge, its purpose, and what it will do for the community? Cobb's Competitive Edge really is a game-changing initiative. It's an initiative that was launched by the Cobb Chamber, but it truly is a community-wide initiative where we're involving our entire community and taking Cobb to the next level. We're working on making our Cobb product even more competitive to align with Governor Dill's vision to make Georgia the most competitive community. And in turn, that means we're going to recruit even more jobs and mm-hmm. and have even higher graduation rates and uh, be able to serve our community even better. And we're accomplishing this through what we call seven seeds for success, and they focus on different areas to, to help us take Cobb to the next level. And I'll I'll run through those. The first is business retention and recruitment on um, really focusing on our existing businesses and meeting their needs. The the second is creating entrepreneurs and um, helping our small businesses meet their needs. And one of the many ways we're doing that over the next five years, this is a five-year plan, Mm -hmm. is we're working on launching a business incubator or entrepreneur accelerator in Cobb that will help us have many more great company success stories like Scott Brandt's Ecorum success story and Mm -hmm. and help them get started. And we want to have a one-stop shop where they can come and get all the resources that they need. Uh, The third way that uh, we're working in uh, in our seven seeds for success is marketing Cobb and creating a positive image really to the world so that more can know all the great assets that Cobb brings to their companies. Uh, the fourth is redevelopment efforts. We're really working on making sure every area of Cobb has the resources it needs and and can truly reach its fullest potential. We have so many great assets in Cobb that we want to highlight. But one one way that we're going to help with the redevelopment efforts is we have a forum coming up September 16th okay. where we've invited Senator Corker who was instrumental in the redevelopment efforts of Chattanooga. If you remember what Chattanooga was like even 10 years ago, it he has made a major, major makeover there, a major transition for them, and he was mayor at that time and, and really took them to the next level. So we're going to learn from him, learn some best practices from him, and uh, have our U.S. Senator Johnny Isaacson here that's made a lot of uh, great impacts in Cobb in particular. And we look forward to, to doing that and involving all, all areas of our community. And then the fifth um, seed for success that EDGE is targeting and focusing on is talent development, of making sure that our next generation of leaders um, are truly getting what they need and, and getting involved, engaged in the community, and, and that we're really focusing on that workforce and workforce development. And and then um, next is transportation. That's that's something that is a we game for business prosperity that we all need to work together in, in the region to have even better options. And then the final the seventh area we're focusing on is really creating communities and sense of place that will help really impact all areas of how we market Cobb County. These uh, seven seats for success are uh, definitely going to help you guys a lot with that uh, job creation. Uh, that you've spoken about. Can you talk more about some of the examples of the jobs that the Cobb Chamber has created as well as the industries that you've targeted? 
Absolutely. Some of our target industries, one of them is actually information technology, like Scott Brandt's company. That's a, <laughs> a, a, a great company that um, we want to have more of in, in Cobb County and the surrounding area. And Emphasis is a, a major um, new company that we are so excited to have and welcome to Cobb County. And they're a fantastic company located in the Cumberland area now. And also, um, we're focusing on bioscience. That's a major emphasis for us. And Osmotica Pharmaceuticals is a company that we recruited just a few years ago. And manufacturing is another um, major industry for us and professional and business services uh, and travel and tourism are, are some key focus areas. Um, and we really have a lot of great successes in each area, but um, one that we're very proud of is our Talenti Gelato that we recently recruited to Cobb County, and many have ta tasted Talenti Gelato, and it's a, a great asset that, that we brought um, right to Cobb. And, and I'm sure we'll have many more great success stories like these. Mm -hmm. And um, with all these companies, that helps us um, have an even better product for Cobb. And I had mentioned the entrepreneur focus for us. Um, we really want to make sure we have more success stories like the Elf on the Shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if y'all realize that Elf on the Shelf came right out of Cobb County and now is a worldwide phenomenon. And, and we are so proud of um, the owners and want to continue providing the resources they need to help them thrive. But um, we just really want to have many more gr great success stories like the Elf on the Shelf. Right, right. As a member of uh, many different chambers, you know, there, there are challenges that we face. How are you guys dealing with the challenges that those who are members of the Cobb Chamber uh, face? How are you handling that? I know every business has challenges that we're, we're all wanting to overcome, but one reoccurring theme that we've heard from a lot of our members is workforce development, of finding the right talent that they need to help them thrive and help their, them take their business to the next level. And that's why we focus a lot on this specific area uh, in all aspects of workforce. So it means starting with our, our schools, our K through 12, and making sure that our schools are preparing for the universities and our universities are preparing our students to be able to have the jobs that they need when they graduate. And so it really involves all aspects of workforce development of everyone working together. Right, everything certainly does come full circle. We've been speaking today with Sharon Mason with the Cobb County Chamber of Commerce. Hey, Sharon, uh, so the chamber has a, a, a local region and a state region. Can you, can you share with us uh, what some of the roles are in each of those? That's right. Even though we're a county chamber, actually 18% of our membership is in the metro area, and that will continue to grow because we know that what we do as a region, as a state, impacts Cobb County, impacts the businesses in Cobb County. And that's why we're making sure that our programs uh, do include all aspects of um, the region and the state. We've had many great speakers like Mayor Kasim Reed talk about things going on in Metro Atlanta and, and how that impacts Cobb. And, and we'll continue to do that and, and look forward to involving our members more in regional efforts. How, how does someone become the chief operating officer of the chamber? Well, um, <laughs> it's over time. I have had the honor of um, working in the Chamber of Commerce world for about 12 years, and I have greatly enjoyed it. I get to help so many businesses grow and thrive, and it's, it's been a privilege for me. So like a lot of people, like Dr. Karanja, it's uh, from the bottom up. You just get in there and That's work, right. and That's it right. all starts happening. That's, That's right. great. That's great. Well, Sharon, uh, 
what are what are just some of the visions? Uh, you know, you've mentioned an awful lot. The chamber's uh, very very active. I can see that you've got a lot of events going on. Uh, are there certain just standout things that that are coming up uh, for the for the Cobb Chamber? Yes, I, I mentioned the redevelopment forum. Uh, another major event that we're working with the Georgia Chamber, speaking of our regional partners, on is our healthcare summit coming up October twenty first. And and there's a lot of changes in healthcare that businesses want to know about, and and that's when we'll have a very interactive session to help educate business owners and especially those in HR for knowing um, how to make sure they're ready for the changes coming and, and can best meet needs of their employees and um, everyone at their office. Sharon, if I was to ask you, what, what is uh, one of the things that just stands out the most in your mind of, uh, of the time you've put in, in that, uh, at the chamber there in that industry? What, 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 comes, to your, what comes to your mind? Well, most recently, we were recognized as one of the top three chambers of commerce in the nation for large chambers. Whoa, congratulations. And thank you. We were so honored to get this recognition, but I, I think this speaks volumes about our members and the community that we represent and how engaged our volunteers are. And we were so proud of of several aspects of that, but, but one of them most recently is we have had a major transformation with the Cobb Chamber, and just in the last few years, we've taken our member retention rate from 67%, which is our really industry average, to 85% for our members, and, and that's because we have really worked on a lot of our return on investment that uh, Scott was talking about and, and making sure that we're meeting our members' needs and giving them what they need to truly help them achieve more. Thank you, Sharon. We're listening to Sharon Mason. with uh, She's the Chief Operating Officer at the Cobb Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Sharon, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can reach out to you at the Chamber there? Our website is cobbchamber.org, and you can find all of our information there as well as all of our phone numbers, and we'd love to get more people involved. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. And thank you to all our guests for being on the show today. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, where we talk business to business. A special thank you to Dr. Benson Karanja with Beulah Heights University, Scott Brandt with eQuorum, and Sharon Mason with the Cobb County Chamber. We appreciate you all for being on the show. I'm Nicole Toptosh, along with my co-host, Dominic Rainey, with CDI Managed Services where we work with companies to maximize their investment in IT infrastructure and cloud solutions and support. To listen to this show and other Silver Lining in the Cloud broadcasts, go to silverlining.businessradiox.com. And until next time, remember, when it comes to IT solutions and cloud support, CDI Managed Services is your Silver Lining in the Cloud.